Any questions? Thank you, Aya. Can you speak about contemplation? Is that a function or an activity of the mind or is it a more intuitive awareness that you bring to an object? That's a very good question. Contemplation is more an intuitive awareness, but I've been contemplating contemplation so a lot lately. I noticed now the trees are losing their leaves. So I sit and look at the trees a lot and I watch the process and I try not to think about it. I just observe it. And there's a way of observing it where you look at it directly and you experience it and it starts to speak and it tells me about trees, this process, shedding, shedding. It's just by looking at the tree and looking at it in a meditative way for some time, just empty, just seeing it, tasting, treeness. We start to know the tree in a different way. We start to know the treeness of the tree. We know it unconceptually. You can say that the tree isn't speaking, that we're we're just dreaming up things because we know that the leaves come again and again. But I think in some way, I mean, we're not uneducated. So of course we've lived through seasons, but it isn't that kind of intellectual thinking which is dissociated from the elements. It's much more a present moment silence. The mind is very quiet. There are no thoughts arising. There's only form, there's visual form, there's a contact, there's a consciousness of the tree, and then there's the swallowing that experience, tasting it. And there's, of course, there is, it's pleasant, it's peaceful, and it gets ventilated somehow. And I feel an expansion. And to me, that's a way of contemplation. Now, when mindfulness is rushing towards the object and contemplating the object, it's doing it because it's not doing it from an intellect. The tree-ness of the tree is actually impermanence. Really, what we learn from everything when we come really close to it is we see the empty, insubstantial nature of all things. Everything comes down to the three characteristics in this conditioned realm. They're impersonal, imperfect, and empty of self, empty of any core. So the impermanence teaches us about that and so much more. And that's really the salient ingredient of our contemplation. Mindfulness has the ability to soak the object. Like it has the function to soak into the object and penetrate it. Just like the food, when you eat some food, 
pick it up with a fork, but you don't just hold it on the fork, you put it in your mouth. Then it becomes food. So it's the same. The mindfulness goes deeply into the object. It pierces it with its ability to know the characteristics of the object. It knows the object in a Dhamma way as four elements, earth, air, fire, water, elements. And then it knows the object, so it has some contact with the object. So the consciousness is also knowing the object because it's right in the object. It's as if mindfulness brings the object into the mind. So there's no concept there. There's a tasting of it. It's so different. That's its intuitive awareness. That's contemplation. And if we do that frequently, we have to be fearless. We have to be courageous because sometimes our experience is not going to be pleasant, but it's arising and we have to be with it, such as pain. It's arising and we're, we're frightened of it because we've stayed far from it. We've had the ability to control and be far from painful sensation. But this time we use that pain as our object of awareness and we use mindfulness to take us deeply into it. And we see that this pain is not what we thought it was. It's just a series of sensations. Actually, the more we confront it and dive into it and know it for what it is, we don't have any fear of it. We may feel it and it may be unpleasant, but we're not fearing the unpleasant sensation we're able to sense it. We're able to just receive it at the sense door, whether it's touch, it's piercing or an itching or a terribly loud sound or a flashing light. We don't run away, we stay. And we die in it, if you, if you must, if we die there. But we don't die. We just die to the pain. And then in that moment, pain can be liberating because we've given up our concept that it's painful. We're no longer driven away from pain. But with thought, they're not a present moment thing. If it's thought, it's already one moment behind the experience or one moment after the experience. So it's past future. But if you're with the present moment awareness, then don't follow thoughts because thoughts will just lead to more delusion. We want direct experience through the five sense doors, not through thinking, but through intuitive knowing. And thought is a hindrance. Unless it's reflective, like if we contemplate through reflective thought, it's different. But if there are memories that are painful or our interpretations of what's happened to us or what other people are saying, these can be very painful and very pleasant. People flatter you, you think you're so great. And it might be true, yeah, of course you're great, but then we create a self and that is untrue, then we're getting into the conceptual realm 
identification with self and wrong view. Stay more with the embodiment of your experience and not with your thoughts about your embodiment. Some people meditate for years, nobody gives them any guidance. They follow the breath, they say, but then they have never really followed the breath. They've just thought about the breath. Oh, there's that breath, but they haven't actually felt it. They haven't gone deeply into breathing and just breathed. It's been a very conceptual activity and they don't make much progress in their practice. It's intellectual. We don't get diplomas in meditation. We don't get degrees. <laughs> we just get free, free of degrees, free of, oh, this is who you are. You've got to hang it certificate on the wall and you have these letters after your name about all, your, all the studies that you've done. Not that those aren't useful, but they cannot free us. And we believe this is me. During our older years, if all we can talk about is our past, then what meaning does the present have? And the present can be so rich because talking about the past cannot really bring us that depth of happiness that we can have just being present in the silence of this moment. And so really we have to let go of everything. We have to let go of all our contacts, all our gadgets, all our connections, all our degrees, all our identities, all our self-views to penetrate through, to cross the stream to the other shore. We just really have to let go of everything. But meanwhile, we let go as much as we can. Not easy. Not easy. But so worth doing. I have, in my practice, I've had difficulty with effort and how to cultivate mindfulness. When I first started meditating, there was a lot of willpower. Then more recently, I've stopped with willpower and kind of just accepted my mind state, whatever it is. And I found that uh, my, my meditation has been quieter, more stillness. But it sounds like the sati that you talked about requires willpower. So I'd just like you to, to comment on that a little bit. Thank you. That's a wonderful question. You cannot do this through willpower, through willfully forcing the practice. But what I was talking about was there has to be effort, but it has to be balanced with mindfulness. And there has to be a kind of, you know, like when you, when you really want to do something or you really want to see something, you will go to great lengths to get it or have that experience. And so we have to think about this practice or hold the value of this practice as something so precious that we don't 
take it frivolously. We don't just, oh, well, yeah, maybe I'll meditate, maybe I won't. Or we put it as second rate in our lives. Then we won't get much out of it if we do that. We have to put it front and center. This is foremost and wrap everything else in life around that. And then we can really sail. So it's not willpower. No, no, cross out, erase. <laughs> it's not willpower, but it's uh, superpower mindfulness. And it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my heart into this. It's heart power. It's not from the head. It's not that kind of like, yes, I'm going to conquer this mountain. But it takes a lot of courage. And it takes determination. We have to have resolve because we'll have a lot of setbacks. We will get discouraged because we're, our minds are so untrained. But we mustn't give up. Just diligently do it right. I try to do things as if the Buddha were here watching me. It helps give me the incentive because some days it feels heavy. It feels hard. Another day, another, yeah. In the monastery, of course, it's a little more intense because our field of work is tighter. The container is much smaller. But in fact, the real container is the mind. <laughs> and the mind can always make things look and feel smaller than they are or bigger than they are. So we have to do everything we can to encourage ourselves and get encouragement and not to force, not to be like army boot camp, even though it might feel like it because we have to be strict. But strict and restrained is not the same as forced and commandment. It's more understanding the value of the fruits of the path, the value of liberating the heart from fear. Imagine having nothing to fear. How would that feel? Not even to be afraid of fear. How would it feel to not be ever angry, never angry at anyone? To always be kind and always be loving, no matter what the conditions are. Even if somebody stole everything we have that is precious to us, what would we still have that is more precious? Our mindfulness, our ability to be aware, our ability to forgive. Yeah. We put a lot of stock in cell phones too much. And when we die, they cannot help us. So it's a very deep contemplation to see what we have to let go of and how to let go of it. There's a famous Zen poet who lives in a, a kuti up on the mountain. And he goes away from his kuti and he finds that Somebody came and stole everything out of his kuti. And he said, ah, but he didn't steal the moonbeam. 
He didn't steal the most beautiful thing in the kuti, which was the moonlight. It's a poem. This is glorious, you know, it's like, what can anyone really steal from us? What actually belongs to us? Do we really own anything, even this body? So if we investigate these things, we come to understand our true condition in this world. That we are very temporarily here. It's all so impermanent. There's nothing to hold on to at all. And the faster we can let go of everything, everything and anything, the more we will progress on this path. And the more we progress, the less we will grieve. 